This podcast is presented by Tommy Hilfiger, a PVH brand and an official partner of the New York Giants. It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest edition of the Giants Huddle Podcast. It's one of my favorite episodes of the year. Get to sit down with our two offensive linemen and Super Bowl champions here, Sean O'Hara and David Deal, and talk about the offensive line class in the 2022 NFL Draft. We're fancy here in the studio. Sean and Dave just got done shooting our TV segment for our pre-draft show, and now we're going to have a little bit of a longer conversation about some of these prospects. And remember, folks, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. Remember, our brand-new draft season podcast is on a separate feed now make sure you go check that out and subscribe on its old podcast channel gentlemen John, can i just say yes I, like thank you for taking interest in the offensive line yes play. like Come year on. in and year out i can always count on you to pay attention to the big guys know their names know where they're from and i just want you to let you know like we wore this ridiculous looking thing for you all right to go, <laughs> I go my the monkey suits yeah we we got dressed up for you right now yes. right, the funny thing is is that as we get closer to the draft obviously we've spent this entire offseason since the combine talking about it people are like you excited? Okay, do you sure you want to talk? Yeah, we'll talk about O-line all day, anytime that you want to, because this is what we're passionate about, and this is what we love doing, seeing who the young players who are going to be transitioning into the NFL, what they need to do at the next level in order to transition the proper way, because we all know that potential needs productivity to hit all full strides when you get to the NFL. Yeah, no doubt. And you're talking to a fifth-round pick and an undrafted yeah. guy. So yeah. We're, yeah. Look, you, don't have to, you don't have to get the guy in the first, second, third round. Like There's other guys there, too. Sadly, <laughs> though, we've been talking about offensive linemen for the Giants at the top of the draft for some time now. They've had trouble rebuilding the group, frankly, since your guys' core group retired shortly after the 2011 Super Bowl. So, once again, the Giants picking the five and seven. And stop me if you disagree with any of this analysis. The top three linemen in this class seem to be in a tier of their own with Evan Neal, Iki Aquanu, and Charles Cross. Either one of you guys can go first. How do you break down that top three? How close are they? What's your order? Go. I'll, get, I'll give it to the elder statesman to go oh, first the here. the old man first. Right. <laughs> yeah, listen, this is definitely something that the Giants have to get right. You know, And, and I think when you're looking at these guys, the, the, all three of them are good choices. So... When you're listing them, it's okay. What are you listing? Are you listing at left tackle, at right tackle, or you know, does one of them, is it versatility? What well, do you well, what are you grading point. them at? It yeah. sounds like so, the Giants are yeah. trying to plug and play a right tackle, right? right? So we yes. should take it in that context. Yeah. So that's where you know you kind of look at all right, the fifth and seventh overall pick is a right tackle worth that high? You know, I think that, that there are a lot of really good tackles in this draft. So. For the Giants, they've got to make up their mind. Like, all right, what are we going to? Are we going to use the fifth overall pick on a tackle, or are we going to wait till the seventh, or are we going to trade back and get one of those guys? Oh, and right to, tackle to, is just as important as left tackles now, though. They, they are. I mean, but if you look across the league, it used to be the left tackle would be the one going up against the best defensive end. Now they're on both sides, so the right tackle is just as important as the left yeah, tackle. Yeah, T.J. Watt lines up over yep. the right tackle, Cleo Mack, yeah. all these guys. Well, I mean, you look down in Philly. I mean, Lane Johnson. You know, I mean, there's yeah. there, yeah. there, there's absolutely an importance there for it. So let's start with Evan Neal. I think when you look at Evan Neal, just an unbelievably impressive physical guy, like physical specimen. He's got a lot of unbelievable talents, things that you look at and you're like, wow. But I also look at him and I'm like, I don't know that he's a guy that like comes in right away and where he is right now with his game, that he's, he's a pro bowler you know, in the first couple of years. He's got some things that he needs to clean up a little bit. My biggest beef with him right now is that he's a little bit of a heel clicker. He gets his feet together when he kick slides and mm-hmm. that's why he's kind of having some balance issues. So there's things that he can clean up. But 
I think when you look at what he brings to the table and you talked about the potential, the potential for Evan Neal, he's got the potential to be a perennial pro bowler in the next couple of years if he continues to work at it. So uh, I think he's a, a really talented guy. I, I'd I wish there was more film on him. Uh, but going with Equanu, I, I love Equanu's finish. I think Evan Neal doesn't have the finish that Equanu does. Great if point. he did, I think he's number one unanimously. But Equanu, you turn on the film, there is zero question that that guy loves football. And when you sit down and interview with these offensive line, we're going to draft you. Like, all right. I, don't, I shouldn't have to ask you, do you like football? Like, yeah. I should be able to turn on the film Dude, and I could see it. At the combine, I could have <laughs> sat and listened to him talk about football for an hour. Yeah. He was so into it and such a smart guy, too. Yeah, and, and it shows. And, and, you know, when you look at him, look, he played guard, then he slid out the left tackle, and then he kind of – you could see that there were some things that he needs to work on. He clearly hadn't been playing left tackle for three years. There were times where he just got beat with his outside hand because his footwork just got a little sloppy. He got a little – you know, it's almost like at guard, you don't have to have as much of a stagger. Whereas a tackle, as you know, yeah. the further you move away from the, ta- from the ball as offensive line play, you've got to have more of a stagger. So you could see where that kind of got him in trouble a little bit. Um, and then the third guy Cross. that you had was Charles Cross. Yeah. I mean, that guy is really smooth. And you see the pass sets. Um, you know, he's, he's got great footwork, great athleticism. Um, I, I think his hands, you know, can, can definitely use some work. But the, the question mark with him is just the run game aspect of it. So, I don't know if he is – I don't know if you could take him at five overall. Like, I think he's definitely a first-round pick, but I don't know if he's, he's – he's, I don't know if you grade him that high. Yeah. I'll pick it back right on top of that. Number one, Evan Neal. I do think that he is the best offensive tackle right now currently in the draft. You have the versatility if he needs to move inside and play there, but he is going to be a tackle in the NFL, whether right tackle to start, then move the left tackle, or an immediate plug-and-play starter at left tackle the minute that he comes into the league. When you see him coming out of the run game and stretching and going up against the best talent in the country consistently all year, like he faced throughout his career in Alabama, his techniques and fundamentals show up time and time and time again. You see his proper angles and landmarks when he takes off at the line of scrimmage. You see him on the backside of B blocks, whether he's just cutting off a three, three technique or if he has to cut off all the way down to a two technique where they're working to the backside to the second level. Those are all things that we've seen him do. In the passing game, I love the fact that he's already got a jump set. He's already got a vertical set. He's got a different set that he changed up, whether it's a three, a five, or a seven. He uses his hands independently. But the area, like you talked about, is the overall aggressiveness consistently. He sometimes gives up his chest. You and I both know when you're out there on an island, you better be a boxer and have those hands up, protecting, ready to punch and counterpunch, because if you're a gunslinger and you go to shoot those hands from the hip, you're exposing your chest and over 300 pounds, I don't care how big you are, you're going to get pushed back and you're going to give up ground. The other areas of concern that a lot of GMs talk about the weight. This is a player that at one time was 390 pounds, and there are times late in games where you see him hanging on to blocks, running where his legs are behind him, and he's trailing with his backside leg compared to finishing guys like we see Iki Aquanu. And then just the preciseness and the, the understanding of the games that you're going to see in the NFL compared to what you do in college. Just the understanding and recognition that if that three technique wide and all of a sudden that five technique or that stand-up guy is a little bit off of the line, don't kick out flat to him. The alert should come up. Vertical set and let those things separate themselves. 
When it comes to Icky Aquano. Well, Dave, real quick, by the way, you guys have been around a lot of big people, and then you go to Icky. Have either of you guys ever seen a 340-pound man like Evan Neal look skinny? No. He looks no. like he's 290. No. I've never seen anything like it. Have you ever seen a 340-pounder split squat onto a box? <laughs> the explosiveness. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's it, absolutely it, 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 worse a little bit. Yes. Right? When he came out, everybody was talking about him jumping out of the pool on, onto the, the side deck and, and all the, the power moves that he was doing, great lower body strength. But for some reason, it doesn't always transfer, exactly. which, is, which is what's frustrating. Because right. yeah. you see that forework, and you're like, all right, you know, like you should be able to do a better job. It should be cleaner. And that's where I think that consistency, the conditioning, and the aggression has to be there for 60-plus minutes. That's not a problem when it comes to Iquan no, whatsoever. Not, no. That's not an issue. Number one, you could tell he is a natural-born leader of that group up front. One of the captains, you see him vocally calling things out and doing it pre-snap because his understanding of what they run offensively. When he puts in, in football, same foot, same shoulder, and offensive line, it's backside leg, backside shoulder tied together. If he gets one of those onto you at the same time, you're moving from point A to point B up against your own will, and there's nothing you can do about it in the passing game. I mean, if you look at him in a two-point stance when he has his hands down, I mean, it's like go-go gadget arms when he is able to use them because of the length that he has out there with the ability to restart and redirect defensive ends. But at that same time, that's where he has to be smart and use that to his advantage by staying inside out, keeping that inside landmark on the defensive end to force him to have a one-way go outside. We always say when it comes to playing offensive tackle, you can ride the bull. You can turn and run him for two seconds and hold on. But if you give him a two-way go and you're giving up an inside leverage move to him, that's where you're going to get in trouble. In regards to Charles Cross, I mean, when you turn on film of him, you can't believe that this is only a two-year starter. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's going to start his week one in the NFL and won't be able to buy a beer until after legally because yeah. he'll only be 20 years yeah. old starting in the NFL. So you add that in, the athleticism, the hands, the fact that he's already had some of the techniques and fundamentals in the passing game because of running that Mike Leach air raid spread offense. But the problem comes up when you show up in the run game. Wide splits between him and the guard. So if you're working double teams, that cohesion is going to need to be worked on in the NFL. His angles that he takes while reaching a defensive end and when they run outside or inside zone. The problem that he has is because they don't do so much work at it is the first step that he'll take, he doesn't put himself on a proper angle, and now all of a sudden he gets bookend. The next time he comes, he overcompensates, goes to fly and rip off of the ball with his backside arm and leg, but he oversteps it and he doesn't get it down. Now all of a sudden he gets dirt and beard in by that defensive end that creates penetration, and now he's starting to fight to work back to the block. The, the upside and the potential is absolutely there. It's just going to take some time and some work in order to develop it. Do you guys see the innate physicality with Cross, though? Because I think you can teach the technique in the run game, right? But does he have the innate, I'm going to go whoop your butt and move you, as you like to say, Dave, from point A to point B? Is that in him, do you think? Or do we not know because we haven't seen him do it on tape? I, I think that's in you, but I also think that that's something that you have to develop as an offensive lineman. You know, it's easy to sit out there and watch Joe Thomas after he's done it for seven straight seasons <laughs> being like, oh, it looks so effortless and flawless because you hear from your offensive lineman or offensive line coach, Trust your technique. It's not so simple when you're on the road and it's third and 11 and DeMarcus Ware is bearing down on the outside and you're looking at him out of your left eye and the ball out of your right eye and you're in a two-point stance. There's a big difference sure. between trusting your technique when that's the situation compared to when you're first coming in. So I do think that that attitude and that toughness is brought out by the players as they get that. 
but also that's a part of the culture in the offensive line room that needs to be developed and part of that locker room as well. How about you, Sean? Do you think he has it in him to be a good run blocker? Yeah, you could see there, there's times where, where it's there and there's flashes of it. But I think if you're in a game and you throw the ball 45 to 50 times, that's a different mindset as yep. opposed to if I know we're going to run the ball 35 times, guess what? Like you're playing smash mouth. You're the aggressor. So if you're in a system that's, that's throwing the ball 75% of the time, it's a, lot, it's, it's a lot tougher to kind of be in that aggressive mode because, you know, ag- aggression can get you in trouble in pass protection. So you've kind of got to, you know, I think to, to Deal's point, where he goes will determine a lot of how that grows. Mm-hmm. Because now what's, I mean, if the Indianapolis Colts draft Charles Cross and now you're coming in and you're with guys like Quentin Nelson and Tim Kelly, guess what? That becomes infectious. Hey, this is, this is the way we play. This is our standard. Um, when you turn on tape with some of these offensive linemen, you look at what Toronto Armstead is doing down in New Orleans and Ryan Ramchick, they play with a certain edge. So you would love to have a guy like Charles Cross go to a guy like the Saints, you know, or something like that, or in that, in that culture that would really kind of bring that out of them. Okay, so let's put the rubber, let's have it meet the road here. If you guys are the gym of the Giants, and who knows, maybe four defensive players go on the top four, who knows? And you're sitting there, and all three of these offensive linemen are there, Listen for me. First choice, second choice, third choice. Sean, why don't we start with you? I think first choice would, would be the way that we just talked about with, with yeah. Evan Neal and then Ecom and then, you know, Charles Cross. I, I feel like Trevor Penning is, is creeping into that conversation just because, you know, it's tough because he played different competition. But when you turn on the, the senior bowl and you see what he was doing against some yeah. of the best, like he didn't back down from anybody. So I almost kind of look at it like, you know, look, if, if, if I'm sitting up there and I'm Joe Shane and he's got a grading system and I'm looking at this, okay, if I, can, if I feel, feel like I could trade back or wait till seven to so, get a tackle. So you don't think Penning's that far away from Cross then the way you see it? I think it's out of necessity when it comes I, to the draft like you're talking about. I got you. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, I, look, I, I, it's kind of splitting hairs as far as, like, who's, who's, who's sure, where. Sure, sure. But if I'm going to have a guy that's going to move to right tackle, I would – I would rather have Trevor Penning move to right tackle than Charles Cross because I don't know that he could handle that over on the other side. So I feel like Penning, you know, that, that's a little bit of an unknown with all of them, but I feel like he could handle it. And I think his motor, his energy, his effort would overcome any of those early obstacles that he would have. Same order for you, Dave? Yeah, same order for me. I, I, I think that I would put there at four and five right behind Penning. I'd come in with Raymond out of Central Michigan. I think that he is a player that's moving up the boards right now. You at think that he's a first-round pick? I, I don't think that he's a first-round pick just because I see the way that this is going to get pushed. I don't think that there's going to be a fifth tackle taken in the first round. I think once you get past four and once you get past Penning, I think that's when you're going to see Green at the guard position come in, Linderbaum. I think that's where those guys are going to start sliding in, and you're going to start seeing tackles go right at the top of that second round. But I I think when you see Raymond come in, reminds you of, number one, the school where he went to, Eric Fisher a little bit, but I think Fisher was more athletic. But then you think about Jack Conklin coming out of Michigan State, the career that he's had not only in his time in Tennessee but now in Cleveland. Raymond is exactly that type of big-bodied player that is great in the run game, can run zone scheme, can run gap scheme. In the passing game, if he gets his hands on you, it's over. Those vice scripts are locked on, and that's it. But the area of concern when you have a player that that's big is the limberness of it, the inside move when you have a quick twitch defensive end. Will he be able to maintain that anchor staying inside out and run him around the hoop? Raymond, when you, when you think about him, you were talking about um, you know, young guys, and, and he's a raw guy. He was playing tight end. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, he's still new to kind of the offensive line 
play, and you can kind of see that. Like, he's still trying to figure out, all right, the hands and the feet aren't as seamless as they should be sometimes. Doesn't have the longest my, arms either, but no, yeah, my, my, my thing with him is I feel like his hands come from underneath when, instead yeah. of punching Punch. a lot. And when your hands come under like that and a defender slaps him down, it brings your face into it. So he gets in trouble with that. But you could see the athleticism. When he's blocking a defensive end and that guy goes to retrace or change his direction, he's hip to hip. Yep. Like as opposed to some of these tackles, now all of a sudden the guy changes direction and they're on the back half of the defender, he stays in front of them. So he's a very interesting prospect. I was down on the field at the combine and I'm watching him run around and move and I'm like, this guy looks like Dolph Lundgren. Like I feel like Drago <laughs> was down there getting ready for the workout. I'm like, where's Rocky? You know, like where's Apollo? Like he's, he's a physical specimen um, and, and it was fun to kind of watch him. Um, you know, in some of the combo blocks, he's still learning how to do all that stuff, but he's definitely a physical guy. I'd, I'd be really curious to see if he could sneak into the first round. If not, that's a heck of a second-round pick. You know what? One of the players that people are talking about that they're talking about inching up, which I just do not see, is Tyler Smith out of Tulsa. A lot of people have him as a late first-round pick. And, and, and I just, I personally don't see it. And I'm not disrespecting him as a football player. You love his attitude. You love his tenacity. Just you love that he again. is a, just, a phone booth mauler. Just watch him against Cincinnati. But he is so raw. His technique is so raw that, number one, you got to move him inside to the guard position. When we look at the guards, we know that Zion Johnson and Green coming out of Florida State are the best two guards coming in, or out of Texas A&M are the best yep. two guards coming into the draft. So he doesn't have that. And you think about him having that kind of tweener body, whether he's really a guard, does he have that unfolding and the power to really anchor in the A and B gaps and give up ground grudgingly? Or is he truly an outside tackle with lack of arm length? That's where he's that kind of tweener for me, that where people are sitting here saying that he's a first-round offensive tackle, I just I can't see it. You know, John, one of the things that's interesting, too, you know, and we're talking about some of these raw guys that need some time to develop, it's tougher now than ever before to come into the NFL as an offensive lineman and get better right away yeah. because of the reps. They're so limited. Like, the only real way to get better as a young offensive lineman is with the pads on. You know, you go out in, in helmets and jerseys and, you know, you and I would be so frustrated that, like, these defensive ends are running all over the place and you can't jam <laughs> them, you can't punch hit. them, you can't hit. So for these young guys, that's one of the challenges that they're up against. And if you're a team that's saying, all right, we're going to draft this young guy and he's going to start week one, boy, you better get him ready. Like, you, you, you better give him every single rep you can in training camp. He better play every preseason game because – all of those reps are so crucial because they're so limited. Don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. A couple basic questions. We've talked about how the Giants have Andrew Thomas at left back, and we're assuming they want to leave him there. Maybe they're willing to move him to the right side. He did it in college. I don't know that. Which I would. I mean, look at how comfortable and look at the way that he played last season. Totally agree. Yep. I think that's a risk. Yeah. So how concerned are you that we haven't seen, except for Evan Neal, and maybe that's one of the reasons he's your number one for you guys, trying to evaluate what these guys will look like at right tackle based on what they've done at left tackle. And again, I don't think the roles and the skill sets are different anymore. I think the positions are kind of the same now. But to your guys' point, it's very easy to say, oh, just go play the right side. It's fine. Everything swaps and switches, so it takes time to figure that out. So how much does that enter into the equation for you guys 
asking whichever one of these tackles you draft, is, unless it's Evan Neal, is going to have to play the right side for the first time. Well, it's not seamless, and it's not as easy as people no. think. It's not something that it's you're just... It's minor when it's somebody else's exactly. spot, right? <laughs> just, minor you know, surgery. Yeah. I know. That's, that's, yeah, minor because it's not your elbow. Uh, yeah, don't worry. We're just going to flip you to the opposite side, and you're going to completely use your opposite dominant hand in order to get it done. As you like to say, okay, we're going to flip sides. Imagine now you're right-handed. You go to the bathroom, and now I'm going to force you for an entire week to use your left in order to clean up the job. It doesn't work out so easily as you yeah. think. Not to mention, when I look at offensive tackles coming out of the draft and going to the NFL, I look, okay, are they right-handed, are they left-handed? Because it makes a difference. Me, for me, playing left tackle, I felt more comfortable being a right-handed dominant player and somebody that has the right leg that they jump off as their dominant leg Playing left tackle allowed me to use this to force myself as back as possible to beat the defensive end to the point of intersection. But this is my strong hand. I can control everything from the inside out compared to now if you're working with your left that's not your dominant hand and you're flipping sides, you're not going to torque. You're not going to feel as comfortable and you're not going to have that same body control and strength that you would naturally. So as a right-hander, you want... You want to be on the left because you that's left your side inside. Your strong hand is on the inside. You go to reach. Okay. You go to move a defensive end. What are you pulling? Your right leg, your right knee, and that's what you're jamming through the midsection of that DN to get the movement off of the line of scrimmage. So no. how much do you worry about trying to teach somebody to do that then when they maybe you haven't seen them? Now, a guy like Charles Cross, I say, is work on that, you know, training and the offseason and all that stuff, but how much do you take that into consideration in your evaluation then? I mean, it's a factor when you're, when you're doing it because to, to your point, you know, it's, it's like, all right, we're asking somebody to do something completely that maybe they've never done before. Maybe you have played that outside, but if you haven't done it in a while, it takes time. And, and it's now you're thinking about it. You're, you're, you've got a different post foot. Um, case in point, look, Nate Solder was a left tackle for the Giants here. Yeah. All of a sudden you move over to the right side. It took him time. And then to do it during the season, look, you're talking to a guy that did it. And you know what? I He's remember talking to Dave. Ask, right? and, and, and Dave was like, look, I'm doing it because it's what's right for the team. He didn't want to do it. You know, like that's hard. That's hard, and you got to take extra sets. And it, you went from left tackle to right tackle during a season one time, and he had already played right tackle. There's still an adjustment period, so yeah. it is it, it, that hand battle, the balance battle. I mean, you can look around the NFL. I remember Donald Penn, Penn was a left tackle for a long time. He ended up moving to right tackle. He ends up tearing his groin just because it, he was it's so used opposite. to the other side. Yeah. So it is definitely a factor. Now, you go back and look two years ago, Jedrick Wills, right? He was the right tackle down in Alabama, which was Tua's blind side. So he's playing right tackle. The Browns draft him. They move him to left tackle. So for a guy like that, great hands, great footwork, easy transition. What kind of guy is he? What kind of player is he? You know, so that that's, plays into the whole, all right, are we going to draft this guy, even though he's been a left tackle, moving to right tackle? Which, by the way, it wasn't so easy for Penny Sewell last year when he had to move nope. right, right to left. Strong. That was a big problem yep. for him. The interesting thing is Andrew Thomas – you know, he played right tackle his freshman year at Georgia. He ended up moving mm -hmm. over. I think it can it can help you. It can make you better out of the versatility. But if you're going to draft a guy fifth overall, seventh overall, you'd kind of like him to play the position that he's been playing. That's why I asked the question. To, right? say, yeah. All right, we're going to move you. You wouldn't draft a you know a, a tight end and ask him to play wide receiver. So it's I know it's offensive line play, but Dave, you you know yeah. better than anybody else, man. It's like all right, this is a little bit of a mental. Sometimes even in the huddle. You still think you're on the left yeah, side. Yeah, you got to flip numbers right. in your head when they're and calling like, the play. Right. You're like, okay, I'm on the left side sometimes. You've got to remind yourself. Or you're like, okay, I'm standing next to Rich. That would be my reminder sometimes <laughs> right. of what position I'd be playing. But to go back to that, you know, the word now that's used, cross-training. I was playing versatile football going back to 1998 to 2003 when I redshirted in my five years at the University of Illinois. 
I played all the positions. I was bounced around doing it in college so that when I got to the NFL, that was one of my areas where I was comfortable and confident in grooming to that position. And you talked about these younger players coming out. We're talking about COVID years where there was no spring ball, where there right. wasn't a season for some of these players. Yeah. So you're talking about a full year of potential growth for some of these players being derailed, where that's how many thousands of reps that you're working your pass sets on one side or the other that you didn't have. All right, I went a little bit deeper on the offensive tackle class here then. Um, Abraham Lucas is someone that I think is interesting. Um, he played tackle for Washington State. They mm -hmm. still have that air raid system, so same type of conversation yeah. that we had for Charles Cross. How quickly can a guy like that who's had so many pass sets, is that guy someone you feel a little bit more comfortable plug-in playing because of the volume of pass sets that he has? Or does the run stuff then provide a whole different set of challenges? Well, the run stuff provides a whole set of other challenges, but also one of the things that you have to realize is that even though that you're in this air raid system, a lot of times that people sit here and think when they really don't watch film, they're just going to assume that your pass sets are perfect each and every time because that's all you do. But there's times in those air raid systems, it's not about your techniques and fundamentals anymore. It's about speed and producing as many plays as we physically mm. possibly can to wear out a defense. Where you're watching a player in those types of systems in the third and fourth quarter, their technique and fundamentals are thrown to the ground because they're doing it just based upon conditioning and they're in survival mode. That doesn't work when you transition to the NFL. And when you come to the NFL, if you're used to running an offense where you're looking to the sideline and they're holding up yeah. a card or they're telling you you're not reading the defense like you're not so part of offensive line play is you've got to understand fronts recognitions concepts what our defense is doing and then how do your play you can't just memorize the playbook and say all right here's what I'm going to do against this defensive front because they move defend defense defenders know what they're doing and you've got to adjust on the fly so to have that ability to kind of understand the concepts offensively what we're doing but also from a front standpoint what are the defenses doing? How are they lining up? That determines how we block everything. Speaking of which, you know, going not just to offenses and, and pass setting and protections, think about how many offensive tackles I'm sitting here watching film of that weren't in and in three-point stance the entire football well, Lucas season. Lucas is one of them. Yeah. Lucas is mm -hmm. one of them. And people think, well, it's that easy. You can get into a three-point stance. If we remember Williams, who was drafted out of Vanderbilt to the Chicago Bears in the first round to play tackle, never got into a three-point stance in college, could never transition and come out of his stance with that same explosion and snap and have that leverage where you're working from low to high that you need to up against defensive ends. Separate question, and this will be the last tackle question that we'll jump inside. When you're looking and you're scouting your guy, how big of a concern if you think they maybe lack some play strength in college? Like a guy like Lucas, good footwork, but not the strongest guy. I think the Ohio State tackle, uh, Petit Friere, another guy, yep. his feet are awesome. But then you saw Aiden Hutchinson basically moving around like a rag doll in the Big Ten championship game. Is that something where you think you can improve that in the NFL level? Because I know sometimes your feet are your feet, right? You're either really good feet or you don't. So how do you guys view a guy that maybe has great feet, but the play strength is something that when you look at the tape, you're like, he has a little work to do there. Yeah, I think you can improve all of that, but it's also dependent on who the offensive line coach is. There are some offensive line coaches that are much better with schemes and with um, you know, breaking down defenses, and they're not as hardcore on the – um, here are the drills we're going to use, and here are the techniques that we're going to use. So th that's a big part of it. I think 
Look, the hardest thing to do if you to pick the two, it's harder to teach somebody good footwork. Like if, you, that's if you're what I would if, think too, if yeah. you've got concrete boots on, that's tough to fix and it's tough to overcome. If your hands are the issue, we, there are drills for that. There are ways that we could work around that. And a lot of times in college, you know, guys get scared to get beat, so they just kind of grab. They don't they don't want to you know get posterized, so to speak. Um, so you can kind of retrain them. Um, but I, I think when you look at if you're struggling in the co- at the college level with power. And if you're struggling to move guys and you're struggling with the upper body, um, that's something that you're going to have to really commit to and really work on because they're, they're bigger and stronger and faster in the NFL. It's not going to get any easier. My first start on Monday Night Football, I turned 21 years old up against the Dallas Cowboys, and my first game was up against Leroy Glover. Leroy. 21-year-old going up against a grown man who is an ass-kicking leverage machine. You learn that even though coming out of college you can have the strength that you think that you have, you're going up against grown men now that are anchored down, and you can work on that physicality in your legs, your explosion, the power. Those are all things that all these young players can continue to develop. But in regards to the techniques, the fundamentals, and feet, that's what really separates the great ones from the good ones. All right. Daniel Falele fascinates me. You know, he's a freak show. He's like 6'9". He's 385. If you're picking a guy like that, two-part two question. You guys can attack either part of this you want. How confident are you can get a guy like that weight down? And again, he's never going to be 330, but can he be 365 instead of 380, you know? Kind of like um, uh, the Eagles tackle plays at. Yeah, my lot. Thank you. And then the second part of that, can you be too tall as a tackle? Like is 6'9 almost too tall where guys that can get low on you with the rush, is that going to give you a, a lot of issues? You guys can attack either part of that question. Uh, I don't think Jonathan Ogden had any issues with anybody <laughs> rushing against him. And if you guys think that I'm kidding, there's a picture from pregame in 2004 when we played the Baltimore Ravens. And Jonathan Ogden makes Michael Strahan look like a child. That's how big he is. Yeah, is there a good advantage to being 6'9"? You're getting nowhere near my surface area. I'm going to be able to completely take away this side of the entire football field. And if it comes to the run game, I'm just so big and long, I'm going to be able to push you out of the way anyways. The area where it gets in trouble when you are a big 380-pounder, it's not just about dropping the weight. It's about keeping the weight off and when you get injured, the ability to recover from it. Because if we look at the other side and another team that's in this state – there's a team that has a first-round draft pick that isn't playing due to having an injury, doing to be in a bigger body and a heavier player that takes you longer to recover because you can't put as much weight on it. Yeah, it's definitely a factor when you're that tall, but it, it can work for you and against you. When you're that tall, you have to have better knee bend because it is a right. game of leverage. So yep. in order to get lower, how are you doing it? Are you bending over at the waist to try to get low, or do you have the flexion and the strength in the lower body to actually bend your knees? But you look at guys like Ogden, like Tony Baselli. They were so good with their hands. So if you've got that, those long arms and you can use that to your benefit, you can succeed. I think for Falele, he didn't work out at the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously movement is one of those things. Look, when you turn on the film and he gets his hands on guys, I mean, it, it's a wrap. Like, yep. he's demolition man. He's destroying guys. Uh, I saw one play where he, he came in on defensive tackle and it looked like he blew the guy's knee out. Like, the guy buckled like a, like a cheap chair. And that's the kind of power that he brings to the table. But... In the NFL, you've got athletes, you've got guys that are moving all around, so you've got to have that, that ability to move. Um, Jordan Mailata has done a really good job of it, but he also, they've cultivated him. Yeah. You know, when they brought him in there, he was part of the uh, International Pathway uh, pl- uh, player program. 
Jeff Stoutland's done a great job, the offensive line coach down there, with kind of grooming him, and they kind of brought him along slowly. Um, but I think when you look at his technique, he's gotten so much better at it. But if he does struggle anywhere, it's that he, when he gets high and when he misses, then now all of a sudden you struggle to get low. All right, let's go inside. Let's start center here, Sean. Tyler Linderbaum. Stand for the underside center and why he's going to be fine yeah, with his short I mean, arms. Yeah. Look, you, you, you turn on the film and Lindenbaum, you're like, dude, this guy was a natural-born center. Like, there are a lot of guys that were, you know, like myself, I was a converted center. Um, you know, sometimes you take a guard, all right, we'll move him to center. Lindenbaum just, like, he, he was born to snap the football and reach nose guards. His footwork in combo blocks, like he knows exactly how much piece of a defense tackle he can take on his way to the linebackers. I, I think he's a heck of a player. He's not huge. He kind of he reminds me of you know like uh, Tom Nalen, the, the the Steelers, uh, or excuse me, uh, the Denver Broncos, Broncos center, yeah. Tom Nalen, Jeff Harding's the Steelers center. Kelsey. Um, he's got yeah he's got some of that in him. He's athletic enough at the second line. I mean, look, he was the nation's best center last year. He's a plug-and-play guy. You draft him, like we know, he's starting week one. He can handle all the blocks. He can handle all the combination blocks. And you get a guy from Iowa, you know his technique is sound. You know he's tough. Yeah. You know he's strong. So I think for Lindenbaum, you know, it's really just about the fit. What kind of offense is he going to? You're not going to draft him and then, you know, run 36 power and run all these scheme running plays over and over 35 times a game. He's a zone-blocking guy. Um, he would be great in any kind of zone stretch scheme. You don't have any worries, though, about the short arms. You no. don't think that's going to be a problem? No, I, mean, I, 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 I had I short arms my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get worried about it because, number one, it's about the scheme that he's put in, and number two, he's a former wrestler. He knows how to work leverage inside hands, working them back inside. That's one thing, as you said, the length. He gets somebody's hands, he's trapping, he's getting them back, working back underneath. So he has that re- hand replacement ability to work it. I mean, he pinned Tristan Wirfs for the Iowa State Championship. I mean, in heavyweight. That just goes to show you his toughness and its ability to work up against somebody that's a bigger body up against him. But as you said, I think it's a scheme for him. All right, very simple then. Any other centers, Sean, that kind of jump out to you in this process? Cam Jordan's really flash for me. You know, I watched a little bit of film on him, but at at the Combine, man, he was super athletic. He he ran a great 40, which I know is is not a huge – we don't put a lot of stock in that as offensive linemen. But – high energy, high motor guy. And then you turn on the film and he kind of reminded me of Kevin Mawai with how many times he's pulling out. Like he's, they're running yeah. tall sweeps. He's, he's out in front leading the parade. So I think he's a guy that, that, you know, I don't know if he's a first round pick, second round, third round pick. You got a guy, um, you know, he's got some, um, some Alex Mack in him too. So I love his, his physicality. He's very tough. I saw him throwing linebackers and defensive backs out of the club. Like he's, he's got a finish uh, component to him. Um, so I, I think he could be a, a week one starter for a team wow, at center. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like someone had a beef jerky gift bag for you walking out of the combine <laughs> in Indy to get some nice love for Cam Jurgens. Huh? No doubt, no doubt. Jurgens, and uh, I'm pretty sure he'll have a sponsorship for that hand lotion, too. There you go, yeah. <laughs> I, I know Luke Fortner is a guy that you yeah. watched out of Kentucky. Kentucky. I think he's a really solid dude. day two pick to plug and play. Like, he was anchored against Jordan Davis in that Georgia game. I was really impressed. You know, the thing is about him is, is that he's not going to flash and no. have these numbers at the combine with all these other guys running in the low five O's and low four nines. And then you're not going to have all the background to go with it. But as you said, just sound techniques and fundamentals plays inside and out can play both guards in centers had that all played at Kentucky. But as you said, just smart, instinctual player does, doesn't give up ground is able to sit down and anchor on the inside. We know his academic background. He's a smart, intelligent kid. And when it comes to being a, a center in the NFL, which Sean will tell you, one of the greatest things that these young quarterbacks can have is a center that can come in, 
take control of the calls, identifying the mic, identifying the protections to take some of that off of the plate of a young quarterback coming in. All right, guards. You, either one can take either player. Who's your top guard, Zion or Kenyon Green? I'm a Kenyon Green guy. I Go. love the versatility. I mean, road grader. I mean, when we talk about, you know, the guards in the center responsible for the depth and the tackles responsible for the width, he gives up zero ground on the inside when he gets his hands on you. In the run game, he moves people from point A to point B, gets up to the second level, has that natural, because of his size, the natural leverage to get underneath and stand up three techniques for that defensive or uh, offensive tackle to come down and knock him down. The area where he needs to improve is in the passing game is when he has a quick twitch three technique that's bouncing inside and out. You know, he's jumping. He's, should I K-sec? Should I kick? Should I step with my inside leg? That's where he gets in some problems once he gets that shifty guy. But I think for, for me, he's the best guard in the draft. I think he's a stud. He's a violent player. Yes. Like, you he moves people. Heavy you're yeah. like, Dude, this guy's got unbelievable hip power. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he could box squat probably 500 pounds. Like, he's got that hip explosion. And it's funny, when you see him pull, like, he, he likes pulling. You could tell some guards pull because they have to. Like, he, he takes pleasure in pulling Get out. Get the locomotive the sound level. going because yeah. he's excited he's getting <laughs> he, around the corner. I, I'm going to throw an, an, an old school name out there. Like, he's got a little Will Shields in him. Like, with, with the hip power and his ability to kind of lift some guys out. But uh, to your point about the pass pro, look, there were, there were a couple times where his – physicality and, and his strength didn't translate athletically. His movement's and a little then, clunky, right? Yeah. yeah. It's very odd. And then at the combine, I'm watching him do some of the drills, and he kind of struggled with some of the drills, which surprised me. The mirror. Me. Yeah, the mirror, the mirror dodge, dodge like, yep. His footwork wasn't clean. Um, he kind of got – he gathered his base a little bit. The change of direction didn't translate on those drills. So, you know, hopefully at the pro day he was able to clean some of that up and answer some questions. But How about we'll Zion? Make Christy um, proud here, Ohio. Oh, yeah, listen, I, I tell you, Boston College, if you ask Christy and Dan Coburn, they'll say that it's O-line university. Um, but I think when you look at, at Zion Johnson, so smooth. I just talked about Kenyon Green looking a little clunky at the drills of the combine. I mean, he was so smooth in and out, change of direction, never lost his stagger. His hips were square through everything. His posture was phenomenal. I, I was so impressed with how well he did. And then you turn on the tape and it backs it up. Yeah. Great job, great footwork. His stance is kind of, it's unique. He's got, he almost looks like Roger Saffold in his stance. His left knee is kind of, he's got his left knee kind of in knocked. And I think one of the things that you look for in offensive linemen is that first step, where does it start? Are they leading with the foot and the ankle? Or are they leading with the knee? And with his knee kind of leaned in on the stance, he has a great first step, and that sets him up for, for, for great success on any zone schemes or, or, or any run plays. But I think physically, I was so impressed with him. Sometimes you see guys on film, and you're like, man, this guy's a stud, or he looks really big, and then you see him in person, and you're a little disappointed. They're not as big as you thought they were. He was the opposite. I saw yeah. him in person, I'm like, man, that dude is, is a stud. I could see a, a team that, that would fall in love with him. I think he's absolutely a week one starter. You can't believe when you put on film that he started at Davidson in his career and then no. went over to Boston College. It's unbelievable yeah. because, as you said, Boston College is known for their offensive linemen, and he fit the mold perfectly. Versatile, has the athleticism to play inside and out. As you said, just smooth movements coming off of the line of scrimmage. Natural bender, gets his feet underneath him. There is where he needs to improve his Obviously, with the more continued play that he'll have, the more confidence with pre-snap recognitions of blitzes, of stunts. You know, it's funny you somebody- said that, Dave. I watched, and it's funny, he was my number one guard, and a friend that I have that's a, for- a former scout said, John, look at how he picks up stunts. And I thought he was a little slow recognizing mm-hmm. some of the games on some of those plays, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah, so that's one area with more improved play and more experience that he'll definitely be able to grab. Yeah. Another area, 
controlling his body at the second level. Sometimes he's trying to beat the will linebacker or the middle linebacker to the spot. And then all of a sudden it's shoulders and head in front, knees behind. Linebacker gives him the old ole and he's off to the side. And then the other aspect of just his ability to in pass pro finish guys off. You see guys go to lift their hands up. You see guys to go get that extra rush. And it's almost like he's waiting for the ball to get rid of instead of hammering that guy and keeping his hands down at the end. He's, he's a natural offensive lineman. Yes. And it's probably the most unnatural position to play sure. in all of football because that's your stance, the footwork, everything. But I think what's interesting about Zion, he's got, he's got a really unique story. He talked about how he transferred from Davidson. His offensive line coach was at BC, and that's how he an- entered the transfer portal, and that's how he ended up up at Boston College. But he didn't even play football until he was in high school. He was a golfer. And so you kind of look at, at his background, and you know I think he's an intellectual guy. He bet on himself going to Davidson, saying, look, I know Davidson is going to teach me how to play offensive line. And then, look, it's, it's worked out well for him. So I love the confidence that he has, and I think he's a little bit intellectual. Yeah. All right. The guard position, a lot of times, you see bigger and slower offensive tackles in college reduced down. When you guys see an offensive tackle in college, you're like, all right, well, we know he's not going to hold up a tackle in the pros because he's too slow-footed. What do you look for that to convince you, and Dave, you're the perfect guy to talk about this because you've done both, that they can reduce into guard and be a good guard? I'll throw just a couple names. Jamari Sollier out mm-hmm. of Georgia. Ryan, the kid out of UCLA yeah. who was a left tackle. He looks like a guard. Um, you have the... Um, uh, Kennard out of Kentucky. Yep. So how, how, how can you figure out? Because, again, things happen a lot faster inside. It's not just an easy move. How, how do you know if a guy can handle that? Well, number one, if the guy's on the outside playing the edge in college and you think that he just isn't going to be able to have that next step to really force a defensive end and really run him past that arc, yeah, you think you're going to move him inside, controlled aggression, limited area, limited space, but there is that he definitely has to be able to do. Bent. He's got to be able to get under three techniques. He's got to be able to have good footwork and good technique because if you're getting beat on the inside, it happens quick and it's over for you. There's no redirecting. There's no restarting riding the bull past. It's over for you when it happens on the inside. So I think those are the areas, making sure his feet and his hands are all tied together, that he can play with leverage, but also just the nastiness that you need to play with when you move from outside to the inside. When you're playing tackle, it's controlled aggression. When you're playing inside, you're getting hit in the face immediately. Yeah, it's definitely more physical. I, th- I think guards take a bigger pounding no in the NFL than tackles, and a lot of it's because you have to pull a lot. So if you're, if you're thinking about bringing a guy in from tackle to guard, can he pull? Because at some yep. point in time, you're going you're gonna to pull your guards. Um, some teams do it more than others, but I think to your point, it's a little bit more close, close quarters combat inside. And so you've got to have good hands. You better Precise be quick. You better hands. have some quick, yeah. some quick feet and hands, and, and your your jump set is going to be your best friend. Sometimes guys that have played tackle, you get a couple of kick slides sometimes before you even make contact. So you're in space a little bit more. Guard, you're a little bit more, you know, close quarters, and the guys are heavier. I mean, you got guys that are 320 pounds, so you better have a good anchor. You better find a way to keep your hands inside. Um, but I think the other thing, too, is when you go into guard now, you've got guys coming from both directions. Yeah. Like when you're at a tackle, you're pretty much like, all right, I'm outside here. Like maybe once in a while I'll have a twist come from here. But at guard, 
you know, you've got to be able to change direction and move both ways, which sometimes guys struggle with. Not to mention, as you sit there and you talked about it, just in close space, there's times literally when you're sitting at guard and it's boom, you're getting hit right away. There's times where I'm kicking that tackle. You're kicking as fast as possible on the third down back there, and you're like, okay, come closer, okay, come closer. You're <laughs> waiting for him like you're trying to be patient and get your hands on him. You're like, okay, come on, come on, come on. You're waiting, and that patience that you have to have that the minute that it happens, that you have your feet, your length, and everything underneath you to punch and not overreach to do it, that's, that's very difficult to do out there. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, who are some of the day two, well, so are you, Dave, guards that you like? You know, the Giants, they bring in Mark Lewinsky, long-term contract. He's a really solid NFL starter. Mm-hmm. The other two spots, though, are kind of, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll wait and see. Short term, what's the long-term solution there? So I could see a guard being a, a day two, early, day three selection. Who are some of the guys, Dave, that you like? LSU, big body guard. Big Ed? Big Ed. I love Big Ed. I, I Listen, limited athlete. Ed Ingram, athlete, by the Ed way. Ingram, yes. by the way. Obviously, limited <laughs> athlete. We know that. But when you're talking about just an offensive lineman that loves the game, toughness, fighting it, being able to get underneath, dig down, really, I just, I just like watching him play just because you know that he loves the game. Talk about a guy that likes to pull Dave. Yes. Oh, he is a pull. Gets him out Ooh. in open space. You get the horn going. I just think that even though he's a limited athlete, I just think that he has the potential of just refining his techniques and fundamentals at the next level to play. How about you, Sean? You know, I, I look at a, a lot of these guys. This is a, this is a deep offensive line draft. So I, I think you absolutely could get some guys in the second and third round. Um, you know, look, I mentioned Trevor Penning early on. I mean, who knows? He could end up, fly, you know, not going in the first round, uh, depending on how it all works. But in the second round, he could be there. I, look, I could see a, a world where Lindenbaum ends up in the second yeah, sure. round. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, look, it, 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 all, like here's the thing. There's two guards and two tackles, but there's only one center. So yeah. you kind of look at, all right, once you get to the 20th pick of the draft, if those teams aren't really in the market for a center, now all of a sudden you get a guy, Lindenbaum, if you could get a guy like that in the second and round. And by the way, a scheme-specific center. So if yeah. you're not running heavy zone, then you're yeah. not even going to look at him to begin exactly. with, right? So I think we could very well be looking at this draft and saying, man, we've got some really good yeah. players in the second and third round that probably had first-round uh, first grades on them. Um, you know, I mentioned Cam Jurgens. I, I think he's another guy that, that could sneak into that. Jamari Sollier um, is a guy you mentioned to me before yeah. we started, right? Sollier, I, I, I love his game. And, you know, you look at a guy that he played guard, all right, he could have come out as a redshirt junior. He says, you know, I'm coming back for my senior year. Bets on himself. They win the national championship. Now, that's a great way for him to ride off. And, you know, look, he absolutely improved his stock. And he blocked Aiden Hutchinson better than any other player yep. at tackle. He, he played against the college's best, and he more than held his own. I mean, he's got that pancake on, on Hutchinson where everybody saw that and went viral. So his stock is trending up. I think for him, he just he only played tackle for one year. So he, he could be a guy you could try out a tackle, and then you know he's going to be a good guard. Yeah. Coming yeah. out of high school, he was a number one ranked guard in the entire nation. He was the, he was the third ranked guy. Uh, in his state, the two guys ahead of him were Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So that's how good of a guard he was coming out. I think if he ha- if he happens to be sitting there in the second and third round, the Giants have to jump on him. Yeah. There's a couple of reasons. Number one, he's a great player. He's physical. He's a good kid. But number two, you know who one of his best friends is? Andrew Thomas. Yeah. Right? He played next to Andrew Thomas uh, down in Georgia. They've been friends since middle school. He's from Atlanta. So they've known each other you know, pretty much their whole life. 
that would be a heck of a, a tandem to have him plug in at left guard, have him next to Andrew Thomas. You get yeah. a young guy in there, you, you know what, he knows he's, AT's got to take care of him, and you've got a veteran next to you and John Feliciano. You know, I, I, the one thing that I really think about when it comes to the offensive linemen, I really believe starting in the second round that there's going to be one or two of these top guys sitting there because just the way that it's been playing out, we know that the modern-day game with all the spread offenses – there's going to be a run of receivers here at the end of the first round, and I think that that's going to push back some of these offensive guards, offensive tackles to either the late first round or start of the second round, where, as you said, these are first-round graded players, but just because of the push and the emphasis for the skill position, the fast guys, after the year that Jamar Chase had last year, I just think that that run's going to push some of these offensive linemen, especially maybe a Zion Johnson or a Kenyon Green. I feel like one of those guys is going to fall to start in the second round to be there sitting waiting. You guys scout offensive linemen as offensive linemen. You have to scout defensive linemen. So before we say goodbye, um, let's talk about the pass rushers real quick here. Top, how do you rank those top four guys? If you're the Giants, how do you see them? They're different guys of different shapes and sizes that kind of do different things. Sean, let's start with you. I think if you're looking at this, at this draft class, you know, I'll go with production. So I'll put Aiden Hutchison uh, number one. Production, what he's done against some of the best players in all of college football, it's and, and it's not just you know like sacks because of busted coverages or cover sacks. This guy's hands. I think he's got the best hands best. out of all the, the defensive linemen in this draft. It looks so, like he tries to engage with offensive linemen just so he can discard yeah. them and get to the yeah. quarterback. One of the things that you usually say a lot about guys coming out is, man, this guy's a really good athlete. He's really good. He needs to work on his hands. He can't get off blocks. Right. Aiden Hutchinson doesn't get blocked, no. and and you know he's constantly swimming guys, and he he has the best hands coming out. So I would put him number one. I think, you know, Thibodeau in Oregon, I think he's, his potential is, might be even a little bit greater, but he's athletically, he, he's still got some things to iron out. I think Trayvon Walker is kind of the wild card here because when you look at him, he, he played a hybrid role, so he didn't have the same kind of production, but physically, it, it's unbelievable. If you're a defensive coordinator, you're looking at that guy and you're saying, man, if I can get my hands on him, if I could teach him a couple more tricks, if I could find ways to move him around in my defense, he, he's one of those guys, I mean, he, he, look, he moves, he's like Miles Garrett almost kind of with, with his body type and the way he moves. At 270 pounds, like, the guys shouldn't be able to move that well. So uh, I, I think he's right up there in the mix. And the fourth guy you Jermaine had Johnson. On the, was Jermaine Johnson. I think he's probably the best all-around defensive end out of all four of them. Like, and actually, I think he might be better on first and second down than, he, than all these other guys wow. combined. I, number one, I'll start off Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, you just put on film, and he makes play after play after play in every single game that you turn on. He doesn't get beat by tight ends. He owns them at the point of attack. You see him stack and shed where it's just natural, where he's doing them, or then he'll give him the ole and rip around the edge. Where his area, where he needs to improve on is just – once again, having a pass rush plan after the first one stop. You know, in the end of in college game, you could be a one-trick pony and get away with it every single right. time. You're going to go up against now veteran offensive tackles that are going to have a plan yeah. that's going to stop your initial move. How quickly can you transition to the next one? But he has the hands in order to do that. You mentioned this when we did our TV shoot. On tape, he doesn't win with the outside rush and the bend, but you look at the three-cone drill and you're feeling okay about that, Oh, right? yeah. I mean, you worry about the bend, but when you look at their times, he ran a 6-7-3, which would be third 
out of all wide receivers yes. at the combine. Not Nuts. defensive ends at 260. Wide receivers. Second, right behind him, would be who? Trayvon Walker with the 689. Mm. He would be the fourth in that lineup of wide receivers at that three-cone drill. So as much as they don't have that same natural bend that you see as some of these smaller guys, I don't think it messed with Julius Peppers during his career, did it? No, I think he was okay. I think he was okay transitioning to that game by using (laughs) that athleticism. So I'll go Aiden Hutchinson, number one, Trayvon Walker, number two. I mean, as you said, just tremendous upside, versatility, whether it's at 4-3 playing the strong side defensive end or the weak side. 3-4, 3-4, he could play that stand-up guy. Can he play 3-tech, too? He can play 3-technique where <laughs> yeah. you can move him inside. He just provides all that versatility, but the questions that you're still asking about the potential of where it can go, that's where Hutchinson on film answered right. all of those questions. Yeah. Number three for me, as I said when we were doing the, the, the show earlier, Jermaine Johnson's probably my favorite defensive player, let alone player in the draft. He just has that nastiness and that attitude. When he gets off the bus, you're like, okay, that's a man-child, ready to play the end of the line of scrimmage. Heavy-handed, plays with violence, open space, knows what angles to take, doesn't have missed tackles, plays with that relentless effort. His hands got tremendously better from 2020 to 2021. We saw his production ramp up threefold, going from five to 15 sacks in Florida State. I just love his game and what he brings to it. So for me, I'd have him number three. Mm-hmm. Thibodeau, I'd have five. I'd have the Greek freak number four before oh, really? him. Talk to me about out of it. Purdue. What do you got? I love what he brings. Obviously, the, the attitude of being able to play inside, outside, stout up against the run game. We talked about Hutchinson. He's another one at the end of the ta- end of point of attack whether it's offensive tackles, whether it's tight ends, is able to anchor down and he'll continue to get better. Thibodeau, he was beat by tight ends one-on-one. I saw him 12 yards downfield getting driven by an offensive tackle. Those other four defensive ends I didn't see that happen to. And I get that he has all the upside, all the speed, all the intangibles that you want coming off of the edge. But he doesn't have the same lower body as Micah Parsons. He doesn't have that same strength and bend and that flexion in his ankles that Micah Parsons has. Now when you're talking about not just putting him in limited positions because he is a primary third down uh, defensive end, imagine if he's on first and second down. What are we going to do? We're going to motion over. We're going to go scoop on the move, and we're going to have me and the tight end completely lift you off of the ground and move you and force the three technique to take up that much space. That's where the areas of struggles come in, and that's where it better be a perfect scheme fit, and you better have another big-body defensive end that can hold off as well. I'm putting you guys in the spot maybe a little bit, so I'll start with you, Dave. If the Giants miss out on a pass rusher in the first round, is there, another, is there a guy that might be available later on day two that you might like? You have the boy Mafes, the Epichettis, the Benito, Benito. From, o- from Oklahoma. Boy, he is a speed guy. He's, huh? he's another Ooh. speed guy, another natural pass rusher. You know, can still can continue to use some extra leverage and some work in the run game, dropping his weight, making sure he one-arm stabs so he doesn't give up both arms. Because sometimes when he had a bigger offensive tackle, instead of using one arm to pry at the end of it, he'd use two and he'd just get wrapped up and held in there. I think that's an area where he can continue to improve. But I see him and possibly moving into the first round, some Ooh, people are saying. Well, Let him. me say this. The Giants had the fifth and the seventh overall pick in the draft, and they miss on an edge rusher. <laughs> we got bigger problems. No, hey, got, hey, look. They don't, if you walk out of there with an offensive tackle in the top corner in the draft, that's not a bad thing. I, I, you know what? I wouldn't mind a little Sauce Gardner or a little Devin Lloyd either. Oh, you like the linebacker, huh? Well, think about now running Coach Martindale's system on the defensive side of the ball. He isn't a you, really physical guy, though. He's more of a space guy. Well, you need guys that can run, and you've got to have guys that can cover, and he's one of those oh, players that can do former that. Former safety, yeah. Yep. 
All right, give me your ideal scenario before we say goodbye. Five and seven. Oh, I think I know where you're going now based on what you just said, Sean. If you, happiest Sean O'Hara possible on Friday morning. Who do the Giants walk away with at five and seven? Mm, good question. I, I think if they could find a way to have uh, Equanu, if they, if they could get Equanu, um, at seven, and, and then get a pass rusher at five. I think that would be that would be ideal. And they, who who would be the pass rusher you want? I mean, if they, I, I don't think Hutchison will be there at five. No, Hutchison um, won't be. I agree. I, I think he's gone. So look, if, if Trayvon Walker ends up, you know, sliding a little, you'd bit, be happy with Walker or Thibodeau if, at five. If you got if Walker at five and and Iquano at seven, okay. that's a slam dunk. That's realistic. Okay, that's his ideal. What's yours? Uh, Iquano and Sauce. If we could get Icky Kwanu and Sauce Gardner, those would be my top two. And with no sauce, I'd go Jermaine Johnson. I absolutely love him. I think he is exactly what the Giants need on the defensive side of the ball. Scheme fit, attitude fit, not a lot of tread on the tires. I, I think that he'd be my perfect guy. Well, this podcast lived up to expectations. One of my favorite ones all year. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Uh, the draft is coming fast and furious. Enjoy yeah. it. And see yeah. yeah, we're yeah. getting there. So, for Sean O'Hara and David Deal, I'm John Trunk. Thanks for joining us on the latest Giants Huddle podcast as we get ever closer to the NFL draft.